welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. About a month ago, we posted part one of a very important episode that featured two current veterinary students sharing their stories and advice that relate to their own experiences with mental wellness, mental illness, and depression. And today on the podcast, we've got part two of that series. So with these two episodes, I really wanted to help break the barrier uh, of talking about mental wellness and personal struggle. We all go through tough times, and I think it's super, super important that we lean on each other. After all, it is totally natural. As we know, it's becoming way too common to hear stories in the news and on social media about veterinarians taking their own lives. Unfortunately, it's taken events like those that really shed light on how important it is that we start talking about our own mental wellness. The veterinary profession is one that's filled with compassion and reward, as we know, but we're also faced with many difficult and really mentally taxing experiences. We live in a career where we can go from the highest high to literally the lowest low in a matter of seconds. So as with part one, I've invited two more veterinary students to come onto the podcast today to share some of their own experiences relating to mental wellness and for them to share what they've learned from their experience and to give advice for all of us in the veterinary profession. As I've said before, this is a very difficult topic to talk about and to hear about, but the more we do it, the easier it will become. The first step in making a positive change regarding our mental wellness as a whole is really to talk about it. So first, I want to welcome Aaron onto the podcast. Hey, Aaron, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, I really appreciate you being willing to come on and share your story and, and engage in this conversation about personal wellness and mental wellness and mental health and, and things that we as vet students and, and anyone in the veterinary community, I think, should be talking more about. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. And thank you for having this topic. It's a really important thing to be talking about. Great. Thanks. So before we get into talking more about uh, mental health and, and wellness, I just wanted to have you share a bit about your background and, and kind of what's been going on with you as of late um, and just share with uh, those that are listening a little bit about yourself. Well, my name's Aaron Gibbons. I'm uh, one of the youngest children in a big family. I have been married to my wife for a number of years now. We were actually high school sweethearts and we were long distance. So we kind wow. of, uh, yeah, we kind of were crazy on two fronts. <laughs> um, but it's been going great and she's wonderful. You know, everyone loves her. My family has talked about keeping her in the divorce if it ever happens. But uh, <laughs> yeah, life's uh, pretty good. I actually, I've uh, moved around a bunch as a kid. I lived most of my life out in California. Uh, but I've been out in Missouri now for about 11 years now, wow. so I won't be able to say that for much longer, how, that I'm mostly from California. Um, I my, have a beautiful wife. I have a adorable little son who's a year and a half now. I had him in vet school. I have another baby on the way. Should be coming in December, oh, so that's a, another baby. Well, Great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for applauding my lack of sleep. <laughs> I'm but, right there with you. Not, not with any children, but I know what your lack of sleep can be like. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, uh, just about me and kind of my journey, uh, I've always been kind of an introverted, uh, shy person. Uh, people who know me now will laugh when they hear that because mm -hmm. you'd never know it talking to me now. Uh, but uh, I, I was 
very blessed to have the opportunity to work in door-to-door sales for a number of years. Uh, This taught me a lot about how to talk to people and how to put out an extroverted feeling. And Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it basically taught me how to fake being extroverted pretty well. Right. And, uh, it was a awful job. Absolutely miserable. It's one of those, uh, jobs that no one likes to do and no one looks forward to it, but it pays really well. Mm -hmm. And it allowed my wife and I to graduate from our undergrad and debt, debt free, uh, before getting swallowed up into the student loans. That is vet school. Right. Um, but I'm still definitely introverted. I'm st- definitely have some uh, social anxiety and that kind of thing. I've just learned to hide it pretty well. Uh, generally, I, after any kind of social gathering or something, I usually have to spend at least an hour to unwind and kind of recuperate mm-hmm. afterwards, no matter how late it is. Uh, otherwise, I'll just stay up all night thinking. Um, but a I was I like to think that I've always been kind of more more balanced. At least I was before vet school. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to my mental health, you know, there were times that I had kind of transient depression or something going on in my life that would cause what I would call a justifiable uh, feeling of depression. Um, but for the most part, it was pretty transient. Um, and then vet school began and I was stressed in ways that I'd never been stressed before. And I found myself having to tear myself apart, trying to fulfill all my duties as a student and as a husband and then as a father. And that was a very difficult thing for me. I was never one to worry too much about grades, you know, as long as I understood the material and I passed, that's all I really cared about. Right. Uh, but I definitely had a lot of, uh, I've, I have had a lot of difficulty in keeping uh, myself feeling balanced as if I'm still putting my time and energies towards what really matters in life. Um, and this really came to a head uh, one year after my son was born. He was about three months old at the time. Valentine's Day came along. And of course, being in vet school, that meant I had a huge test the next couple of days. Of course. So I found myself sitting at my desk studying. I'd gotten my wife a bouquet of flowers and a card and some little gift that I don't even remember what it was now. And my son was crying. And it was one of those times, you know, with a baby, sometimes they just cry. Sometimes they just can't be comforted and you just kind of have to do everything you can with them and So my son's screaming, my wife is on the verge of tears because she's exhausted and and doesn't know what our son wants. And and I'm forcing, I have to sit there forcing myself to keep looking at whatever it was I was studying that day, you know, probably pig feet or something, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) And it really kind of hit hard. Uh, and I fell into a pretty deep depression and unlike before where it was kind of transient or maybe for a week or two at a time, uh, this one actually stayed with me and it stayed with me for months Mm -hmm. and it was very hard to get out of that feeling. And of course people, uh, a lot of the time mischaracterize depression as feeling sad. Mm Mm-hmm. And really, the most common feeling 
uh, in surveys done with people who had depression was a feeling of hopelessness and this feeling that there is something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And I definitely had that a lot. And when you, it, it, it's something that you cognitively know that no, it, you, there isn't anything wrong with you, that you're going through a hard time, that it's going to be okay. You know that cognitively, but you don't believe it. It isn't real to you. you. It's just something you're saying. And in the back of your head at all times, you have this gut feeling that something is wrong with you, not the situation with you. Mm-hmm. And so you can see how that would really filter every experience you have. When things are going poorly, uh, part of you truly believes that it's something you deserve, that it's something that you did, that you caused it, and that is just the way it's going to always be. When things are going right, well, I mean, how right can anything really go when everything is wrong and something is wrong with you? There is something wrong. So even when you're happy you know in the back of your head it's this temporary thing, this temporary respite, and it drags you back down fairly quickly. And I lived in this state for months on end, just feeling there was something fundamentally wrong, that I was an imposter, that I was fake, that I was false, that that I was wrong, and that those around me just put up with me mm-hmm. or suffered through me. And it took a lot of work to kind of dig out of that pit. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking with my wife and talking with my family. And it was only after about six months or so that my wife finally t- asked me to talked me into going to see Dr. Kerry Carafa there at the vet school. He's mm-hmm. the uh, psychiatrist who is employed by the vet school for the vet students specifically. And I finally agreed after six months of just loathing myself. Mm-hmm. And then I did nothing about it for another three months or so with my wife kind of digging at me every now and then. And finally, she basically gave me an ultimatum. She just sat me down and said, I'm not going to, we're not going to do anything. I'm not going to turn, you know, we were watching TV at the time. She said, and she paused it and she said, I'm not going to turn it back on until you send that email to Dr. Crawford. And I finally did set an appointment with him. I was meeting with him weekly for months now. Uh, Just recently, I actually started meeting with him every couple of weeks or every three weeks. Um, He's been a absolute godsend. He's mm-hmm. been wonderful. Uh, you know, I went in with all these preconceived notions that he would be, you know, that I'd sit, lie down on a couch and he'd have the little pincher glasses and he right. would ask me in a thick Austrian accent, like, <laughs> to tell me about your mother or something right. like that. Right. And uh, it wasn't like that at all. It was really just a conversation. And every now and then he kind of would show his little psychiatric brilliance and just kind of direct the conversation one way or another so that I would kind of figure, piece things together myself and figure things out myself. Uh, It wasn't easy. Uh, There were really powerful times and powerful emotions speaking with him. Um, 
It also helped that after I'd been working with him for about six months that he, I, I, find, I was the one who asked him about antidepressant medication, mm-hmm. uh, to which he said, yeah, I've kind of been hoping you would eventually bring that up, and I think you would be a good candidate. Uh, we discussed how it would be a short-term uh, way to bust out, how just like with a lot of medical illnesses where sometimes you just need a little bit of steroid to break the cycle of inflammation. Well, that's kind of what antidepressants would do with my mental state. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've been on those for a few months now, and it's been been a big uh, change for the better in my life as well. Um, But I'm still working on it. I'm Mm -hmm. still working through it. And I can honestly say right now I'm doing better than I have in years when it comes to uh, finding balance in my life, being able to communicate what I need and what I am feeling with my wife. Um, I'm, I feel like my marriage is stronger because of that increased communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the biggest things that I've become since becoming more aware of my depression is just how epidemic this condition is, especially mm-hmm. in the vet school. Since becoming aware of my own depression, I've started having discussions with friends and uh, finding it in them as well. And uh, it's something that we are not expected to talk about. And again, I kept thinking, well, what do I have to complain about? And, you know, I don't have any, you know, both my parents are alive and uh, I have family and I have friends. So what on earth do I have to complain about? And the base thing has just been breaking out of that mold of thinking that it isn't something that I'm doing and it's not something that I am. Right. And it's taken a long time and there are still there are still bad days, but the the months and months of depression are thankfully over and hopefully they'll stay that way. Great. So now that now that you've been seeing Dr. Carafa and taking antidepressants and, and making seems like great strides with keeping yourself um, in a better place and more stable um, and overall healthier. What do you do if, let's say, you have a bad day and that imposter syndrome comes back hard and um, and you're just having a really tough time? What are your? How do you cope with that? Well, it's it's a hard thing because we seem to be genetically hardwired to remember the awful mm-hmm. better than the good. Uh, really, there's good reason for that. If you eat, you know, caveman days, if you eat this fruit and then you get horribly sick, it's really important you remember that. Right. As opposed to taking a bite and, eh, it's okay. You're not going to remember that. Right. So one of the biggest things that I've tried to do is try to focus and make a mental note when something goes right. So uh-huh. often we have just in our minds, we have this feeling like we've got one failure after another after another, when in reality, each failure is is just kind of a burst of badness in a sea of good or mm-hmm. at least of nothing, of meh. Right. So I've been focusing a lot on if something goes right or I, I'm given a compliment or something like that. Uh, accepting that, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been very self-deprecating with my humor, and 
one thing I've worked with Dr. Krafa is just learning to accept compliments. Mm-hmm. Uh, because always before, I, someone complimented me and I'd make a joke about the huge size of my head or you right. know, the, my overall smell or you know some, mm-hmm. something goofy like that. Right. And it's not necessarily a healthy thing mm-hmm. uh, to do that. But instead, by accepting the compliment and by allowing myself to feel good about something, that instead gives you greater context for when things do go wrong. Mm-hmm. So that when you make a mistake, you don't sit there going, I'm such an idiot, I'm always an idiot, I'm always messing up. You can more comfortably say to yourself, I've messed up, that was bad, but I'm not stupid. Right. I'm not a screw-up. Mm-hmm. I've I have screwed up, but I'm not a screw-up. Right. And that has been a power, surprisingly powerful thing for how simple it sounds. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think one thing that really resonates with me and something that you've touched on today as well is that the things that we go through in terms of having our bad days and even and having our good days as well is that it's all normal and that everyone experiences it. And if you haven't experienced it yet, talking about, it, like, say, a bad day or having a struggle, you're going to experience it sometime. And I think that's a really important thing to touch on is that what you've experienced is a completely normal thing. And what a lot of people are experiencing but too afraid to talk about is completely normal. To harp again, why I wanted to bring you on today was just to talk more about these experiences because it is so, so much more common than we, than we realize. Absolutely. I feel like we're starting to get a general idea I mean, there have been, we've all heard the statistic that as veterinarians in the veterinary field, our suicide rate mm-hmm. is six times the national average. Right. It's two times the national average for medical doctors. And of course, there's so many reasons behind that. There's, I mean, the, the economics of our profession, there's our view towards death, uh, there's our desire to always come out on top and always do well. And, of course, just our great compassion and empathy for the animals themselves. All of these contribute. But it is absolutely false to think that we are somehow unique in being in suffering. And the, I, the more I think about it, the more I've come to the realization that our greatest defense against these feelings and against this stigma is to discuss it, is to talk about it. Um, and it's not some shameful thing and again it's not something wrong with you there's it's nothing like that uh it's the brain is an organ just like any other organ it can get sick right and to be quite honest the stress of vet school does to the brain what being a chain smoker does to your lungs i mean it is not a mentally healthy environment Uh, The hope, of course, is that you get through it and you learn management techniques and you go on into your career able to manage it better. That's the hope, but it's not always the reality. Right. And that's why we need to discuss it so that these students like myself, like you, like uh, other 120 students in each class, you know what? All of us need to just be aware of it because you can't fix a problem that you don't know exists. Exactly. So what advice would you have for students and veterinarians that are out there that may be going through a struggle of their own? 
Well, of course, there's always the kind of generic talk to your friends, talk to your family. Um, be open, be honest. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. Some people will not appreciate it. Some people will. So we all know that answer. Uh, One of the other pieces of advice that I really feel uh, has taken me a long time to come to grips with, and it's something I still work on, uh, this idea that, well, I'm just doing my best. And this idea that, well, my best means if I'm truly doing my best, I won't make a mistake. Right. Because that's my best. I'm at my best when I never mess up. This idea that I'm at my best when I'm happy, when I'm studying as much as I should, when I'm going to bed at a reasonable hour. That's my best. That's a total lie. Mm-hmm. It's an absolute lie. If, if that was your best, then you would be a perfect human being. And nobody is perfect. Uh, that's a cliche. Far but- from it. Exactly. There's no such thing as a perfect person in this day and age of any age. Uh, You know, the one exception, if you're religious, would be Jesus Christ. And I'm certainly not him. So you have to give yourself a little bit of break when things go wrong. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your best is not a sprint marathon first place. Yay, everyone wins. Sometimes your your best is a crawl. Right. Is a limp, is a is lying on the ground sobbing. That is sometimes your best. And the only thing you can do is to cut yourself a little break and realize that the changes you make in your life and the actions you are taking in vet school and in life in general, hopefully they're taking you to a better place so that your best becomes better. Right. But give give up this feeling that you're not doing your best if you make a mistake or if you can't go to bed quite as early as you had hoped or you can't give the time to your wife that you feel she deserves. Right. Or you can't, you know, be as good of a dad as you can. You know, all these things that I've I feel in my life, uh I'm I'm redoing my deck and I'm going to run out of time before I go back to school. Uh, I have to give up on that and just realize that, yes, there were times that I decided to lie down and just sweat for a minute instead of continuing to work. But you know what? I did my best. Right. And if I've got to pay someone to finish the job for me, that sucks, but I'm going to do it. You know, it's, it's not something wrong with me. Right. My best is still good and my best is going to get better. But I don't have to be perfect, and no one expects that of me. Right. And it's actually, you just kind of rang a bell with me. Uh, something happened to me last week that um, was exactly that, which is I got down on myself for not being what I thought I should have been. Uh, so and it's and it's a probably a common tale in vet school, and I'll, I'll share it very quickly, uh, is that as I just started my third year, uh, we are in our ju- junior surgery lab. Uh, we had our first live surgery uh, uh a pretty long celiotomy and we didn't do uh, a few things right. And after everything was all said and done, we were exhausted. Uh, I got pretty down on myself that this was not the standard or the quality that I thought I could, I could be doing. Surgery is one of those things that I was really looking forward to. I'm still obviously looking forward to it uh, as a practitioner, but um, I had these very high expectations of myself at the first go round. And I have very high expectations of myself for when I'm fully trained uh, and ready to go out and practice. But the point being is that 
that evening, I was just feeling like a failure. And one of the professors that was down in the lab with us took me aside and said, no, you did great today. This was your first time. What do you expect? Um, and I realized that my expectations were way out of whack. Um, and it kind of regrounded me and made myself look at the bigger picture and realize that you don't have to be perfect anytime, let alone the first time you're doing something as meticulous and challenging as surgery. So, um, so yeah, so what you just shared really resonated with, with me on that point. And really that goes with anything with that school. I mean, so many of our classmates go to school being used to getting like, you know, an 88% is a poor grade. Right. And then you get to vet school and they decide, hey, you know, that you see this textbook, you have next week to learn it all. Right. And some amazing people with brains like computers can still manage to get those good grades. And most of us are not them. And that's OK, too. And you have to be OK with that as well. Right. And I think, too, at least with that example, is that everyone is at a different level in terms of what their expectations are in terms of grades, if we're using that as an example. I know some people in my class will get very upset with themselves if they get a 90%, whereas a 90% with me is unbelievable. Like, I would go have a party. <laughs> Doing uh, cartwheels in the hallway. Right. Exactly. So it's something to think about. And I'm not discouraging people from talking about those things in class, but but if you're one of those people that can get offended or down on yourself because you're hearing someone say that, oh, my 90% is like a failing grade to me, that doesn't mean that you, since you got a 75 or an 85 or whatever it is, uh, means you're a failure. 65 sometimes. Right. <laughs> it, it, you know, you're passing and, and you're fine. Even if you don't pass an exam, you're not going to, uh, doesn't mean you're a failure for that, for that subject. There's always time to grow and, and sometimes failure is the best way to learn. Um, so, so don't, point being is don't let other people's expectations dictate what yours should be of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what I keep reminding myself of. And going back to what I was saying earlier, focus on the wins as well. Right. Uh, of course, there's the, the basic win of the fact that you are there. You are in vet school or you are, you know, for those listening who haven't made it to vet school, you're working to get into vet school. Uh, for any recent grads, you 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 are out working or mm -hmm. you are out extending past you know the next part of your life. Focus on the wins, and I promise you, I promise you, they are far outweigh the failures. Uh, if you just put the added weight where it belongs, and it's not an easy thing, and it takes practice. And, you know, ironically, you can get down on yourself for not doing that enough. Right. And then you can view that as a failure. Whatever. You, I promise you, your wins will outnumber the losses. Just allow that weight to go where it belongs. Perfect. That's great. Look at the positives. We don't do that enough. Incredible story and great insight from Aaron. So thank you again. Next, I want to welcome my friend Riley onto the podcast. How's it going, Riley? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm, I'm thrilled you're here, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about wellness and, and everything that we go through in vet school, the highs and the lows. So um, it's all really important stuff to talk about, I think. So Definitely. I wanted to first off by just having you give a little bit of an introduction for yourself so we can learn about who you are, where you came from, 
what to do to get to vet school. Sure. Um, so I, I'm not really from anywhere. Um, <laughs> I, that's a complicated answer, but, um, my dad was in the army, so I moved around all over the place growing yeah. up. Um, if I had to pick somewhere that I've lived the longest, it would be Kansas city. Okay. Um, so that's kind of where I call home right now. Um, but who knows where I'm going to end up after graduation. Right. Um, and then I was diagnosed with depression when I was 11. Wow. Um, so I've been on medication for more than half my life, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and I, I think the reason why our, our profession struggles so much with, with mental illness, um, is because, you know, it really attracts the people that are vulnerable to that in the first place. Right. And so, you know, it's like you're, you're picking out the people that are perfectionists and that are overachievers and, you know, that might be close to a mental breakdown anyway. Right. And then you're subjecting them to the stress and the pressure of vet school, which just seems like, you know, a recipe for disaster. Right. Um, So I almost feel like just in terms of, you know, our profession and mental illness, I I think that, you know, if if the selection process can't change, then the actual program itself needs to adapt in order to accommodate for people that are potentially, you know, vulnerable and susceptible to those mental illnesses. Right. What I found, too, is I think that for the vast majority of people going into vet school, they're not used to failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when they come to vet school, that's really a lot of their first experiences with not getting an A and maybe getting a B and, oh my gosh, that's just so terrible, you know, which is crazy talk now that we're in vet school for, you know, starting our third year. So um, I think if, if we were to somehow, it's really tough to explain, but get more life experience before vet school, which I know is really difficult coming from right from undergrad. But um, I think it's really difficult. Like you said, the, the personalities that come in um, and not having a lot of experience with struggling in school to the degree that vet school puts on you. Right. Like you said, it's a recipe for, for a lot of hardship. Yeah, definitely. And I think just with, you know, with what you were saying, getting more life experience, I think the best thing that I did for myself in preparing for vet school was to take two gap years. Really? Nice. And um, I initially was on the fence about even taking one. Mm-hmm. And then once I got into it, you know, I thought I would be behind. I thought my whole, you know, class is moving forward and I'm just going to be stagnant. Right. And that wasn't the case at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was growing as a person and developing skills, you know, problem solving skills in a workplace um, that I would never have, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that until after I graduated vet school. And so that's, you know, I was almost kind of working backwards to develop myself first, whereas most people find that later, I think, if they are just going to a straight shot to vet school. Right. No, I agree. And I actually, you know, we have similar journeys then in that case where this is a second career for me. I didn't really have any intention of going to vet school in undergrad. Um, I wanted to do something with medicine, but to make a long story short, I kind of find my way about four years after I graduated. And I, first of all, never 
would have gotten into vet school had I not taken those four years and grown as a person, learned right. how to really work and study and get the, the drive to do everything that's needed to do to get to vet school. But um, like you said, that growth that happens outside of school in the workplace is invaluable, in my opinion. Uh, and it's a double-edged sword because most of the people going to vet school go right from undergrad. Mm -hmm. And their first time working in the real world is when they're a veterinarian, which is kind of scary um, with the amount of responsibility that veterinarians have. So there's a pretty big learning curve when they when they get out, um, if they've never held a, a full-time job before, let's say. But again, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but, but I agree with you that that, that, that growing time can make a really big difference in terms of wellness and how you approach the uh, the struggles in vet school. Mm -hmm. So speaking of vet school, like I said in, in the intro and, um, and from our first episode of, of talking about this topic, is I really want to make it more normalized to be talking about struggle, depression, uh, issues with, with wellness, because it's such a normal thing and it's such a a almost a taboo thing to talk about. So I wanted to ask if you wouldn't mind sharing a quick story about any type of struggle you experienced in vet school. And again, just to kind of show people that that they're not alone in feeling these ways because like I said, vet school is crazy hard, but a lot of fun and, and rewarding, but just all these emotions that sometimes it's really hard to uh, keep yourself sane. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think my biggest struggle personally in vet school was, um, it was during our spring semester of, um, our first year mm -hmm. and, you know, it's like, I, like I said, I've been on medication to manage my depression since I was little mm -hmm. and just with everything that I had going on, I either wasn't able to get a refill or, you know, like I ran out of one of my medications and was unable to refill it until like a week or two later. Right. And by that time, you know, not only was I struggling in school, just trying to stay afloat, but, you know, then going off an antidepressant cold turkey is also never good. Right. Um, so I, I really struggled with that um, in just, you know, feeling very isolated and alone in my journey because mm -hmm. I, I just wasn't sure if there was anybody else that was experiencing the same things that I was right. that, you know, that feeling of wanting to be there for your family and, you know, at the same time wanting to be a perfect student, but missing out on life events that, you know, are very important. Right. And so I think that that whole experience, I mean, I, I legitimately almost failed out then. Mm -hmm. And it was really rough. Um, and I never thought that I would be in that place, right. you know, go, you know, looking into the future. And so I think, you know, that experience just kind of taught me like little steps along the way can kind of, you know, prevent a big disaster later mm -hmm. on. You know, like if I had taken the time to refill that prescription and, you know, not studied an extra half hour, right. like I, I could have avoided that entire situation. Right. So what did you do to turn that around? Um, I reached out to my family, definitely. Um, they were a huge help and a huge support uh, during that time. Um, and 
you know, some of the friends that I did make in vet school were aware of that situation too. And they were very supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, really I think the most important thing that I did later on after that episode had kind of passed, um, was that, uh, I sought out therapy, Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of established a dialogue with a therapist about, you know, this is what's going on in my life and this is how I'm feeling about everything that's happening. And, you know, that kind of like self exploration really, really benefited me mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm still seeing benefits from reasoning out, you know, why I feel the way I feel mm-hmm. even weeks after, you know, my sessions ended. Right. So right. I think that that that's probably my biggest recommendation is just to, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be a mental health professional. Just seek out somebody that you can talk to mm-hmm. because I think isolation when you're depressed is one of the most terrifying things. Yeah, I can agree with that. So what would you say to those vet students out there, let alone pre-vet students or new grads or really who anyone in the profession that are going through sadness or struggle or depression or whatever you want to call it, that are maybe reluctant to speak up or think that they are weak or something's not right with them. What, what do you say to them? What, what advice can we give them? I think that just practicing self-love on a daily basis is something that, again, will benefit you years down the road. Um, just taking little steps to just take care of yourself like you would take care of anybody else that needed mm-hmm. help. And, you know, don't be so hard on yourself when you encounter a failure because you would never be that hard on anybody else that you know. Right. And so kind of separating your mind from yourself, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. and just kind of treating yourself as a human, which, you know, that like that's something we forget to do all the time. Right. Um, A good friend of mine said that you're a person first and you're a doctor second. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, now that I'm right in the thick of vet school, I can't agree with that more because, you know, like you, you have to practice that, you know, compassion towards yourself and, you know, promote self-healing and self-growth in order to be a good doctor. So Mm -hmm. it's just, you can't have one without the other, you know, it's just definitely you make a really great point, too, that I never really thought about, but I think I'm going to use it, is that it would be a great way to step out of yourself for a second and place what you're feeling into, let's say, a friend or a family member and say, what would you do for them if they were feeling this way? Mm -hmm. And like you said, I bet that the way you would act towards that friend is completely different than how you're acting towards yourself at that given moment. Oh, yeah. Um, So that's really interesting. Yeah, I think that you know, therapy is, I mean, that's essentially it, you Mm -hmm. know, you're, you're talking to somebody who can bounce ideas back to you. And you're walking through your own emotions, Mm -hmm. and kind of analyzing things from a different perspective. And it's just, it gives you fresh eyes, and just kind of allows you to see your own world a little bit differently. Definitely. Yeah, I think at least for me, talking is the most important thing, like you said. Also, when you bottle it up and you isolate yourself, it's only going to get worse mm-hmm. um, because it's kind of like a 
you know, a death spiral. You, it, you really can't get out of it without help from let alone a friend, a, a family member, a therapist, a, a professor, whatever it is, talk to somebody. And I, I know that a lot of the vet schools right now, they are starting to employ more psychologists, social workers, people to talk to that are there specifically for that reason. Um, but also if there's a professor you're close with or if there's a dean or anybody like that, um, I think it could be a great tool, especially if they're in the veterinary profession because they probably have gone through the exact same things you're going through. Right. So there's always someone to talk to. And and what really kind of is sad to me is that we are so used to being the strong student and the strong person that, you know, we're not going to get down by anything and the macho man type of syndrome that we're too afraid to talk to somebody about it. But um, I think that's what's been getting us into trouble. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um Something came to mind while you were talking. Um, I was taking an online class for my public health degree um, a few semesters ago. And, you know, vet school was crazy and things were piling up. And my huge semester paper was due mm-hmm. and I hadn't touched it. Yeah. And I basically just emailed my professor and said, like I'm having a mental crisis right now. Like I can't, I can't do your paper. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just not going to do it. Right. And I, I mean, I think it's sad in a way that I was shocked when she came back with a response and said, you know, I give people, you know, just as much accommodation for mental illness as I do for physical illness. And mm-hmm. she said, you, you know, dis- you let me know when would be a reasonable time to expect your paper and I'll, I'll you know, g- give you that grace period. That's and I, I was stunned. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. like I I feel like that should be the norm. That shouldn't be like that shouldn't feel like an exception. Right. right. And so that just really made me think about, you know, how important it is to value those professors that do see mental illness as, you know, a, tan- a tangible ailment. Right. Um, but then also, you know, we have to come to expect more of that from our professors, I think, because, you know, it's just because you can't touch it and you can't see it, you know, that doesn't mean that it's, it's not something that is, you know, destroying your life. Right. Right. That's a great point. I, it reminded me too of, I can't remember if I was reading it or if it was another podcast I was listening to, it was about, uh, management strategies and things like that and i was listening to try to get an insight on what the real world veterinary practice is going to be like and there there was a person talking about it that they treat sick days for physical health as well as mental health Uh, and i think that's becoming the new way of thinking and hopefully it is going to become the norm because it certainly isn't now um so I, i i totally agree that if if we were to change our mindset that mental health it's just as important, if not more important, than our physical health. Rather, they're probably equal. Uh, it, it's going to help us uh, battle it and and get, keep getting better at, at managing it. Right. And I think that seeing, you know, seeing those as as equals and not attributing, you know, mental health or mental illness as a character flaw or you know, it's like you just never know when somebody's going through a hard time and right. they just need that extra day or two to bounce back and, you know, 
be even better and more productive than they were before. Definitely, definitely. And I also say too, that the earlier that we can start to figure out ways to manage mental wellness and depression and struggle, it's only going to help us in the future. Like you, like we started off saying, to kind of make this full circle, the more that you can do early on, like in, in our cases where we were able to take a break from school for a couple of years, learn how to cope with certain things out in the real world that were different from what we were experiencing in, in the academic world, it's only going to help us further down the line. Better to figure out coping mechanism now than to figure it out later when we're working veterinarians and we've got a life or death case and and uh, something much more grave that's less forgiving is going to take place. Right. Um, so my last question for you to, to wrap all this up is knowing what you know now, having those hoping mechanisms that you've developed, looking back at yourself, let's say in your first year of vet school, what would you say to, to her? Um, I think that I would really just emphasize, you know, taking time for myself and, you know, even writing, you know, personal time on my calendar mm -hmm. and just making that a part of my schedule. Um, because I, I really did fall into that trap of trying to do everything mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to participate in extracurriculars and get perfect grades and, mm -hmm. you know, it all came crashing down. And so I think it's it's hard though it be, in a way because I heard the warnings before I started vet school right. about you know this is difficult you can't be perfect and you know you always think that you're an exception mm -hmm. and so I don't know if I could have even convinced myself at at that time that I needed to change I think that I almost had to go through it to come out stronger in the end right. so. I mean, you know, just kind of like we already mentioned, just putting yourself in situations before vet school mm -hmm. where you can practice those coping mechanisms and um, really practice that self-compassion right? Um, and making time for yourself. That's that's something that, you know, I would I would recommend to just about everyone. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I would second it also. I would also add on that what we're saying is not to go find struggle. Don't try to put yourself in situations that you're going to, you know, you're going to fail. You know, you're going to go through a hardship. All we're saying is that, you know, live your life and, and do things you want to do. And I think if you've been one of the lucky ones to not have had a, a major struggle in your life, be it academically or personally or whatever it was, vet school is more than likely going to provide that for you. <laughs> um, and not to put like a, a whole downer on vet school, but it's part of, part of the vet school experience and part of growing as a individual, as a professional, as a, as a student veterinarian. Um, so, you know, I think the point is when you are faced with a struggle like that and you're faced with the, with depression, um, realize that it's, it's totally normal and totally natural. And most people are going through it and it's totally okay to talk about it. And it's probably going to happen again in your life. So, look at it as a, a growing opportunity. Right. Yeah, definitely. Learn what you can from what life gives you. Definitely. All right. Well, once again, thank you so much for being vulnerable and, and sharing your story and, and offering insight on, on a difficult topic. But again, I think it's really important that, that we start talking about it more. And, and again, that's the whole reason that um, I wanted to have you and some other friends on and 
just get this dialogue going. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you. So what's uh, what's the plan for after vet school? So I think my plan is to not have a plan. Um, I think I'm just going to take it one day at a time and see what life provides for me. Um, I I know I'll probably end up changing my mind, mm-hmm. you know, once or twice. Here Which is there. also normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm I'm definitely anticipating that life being different from what I plan anyway. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just well, good. Good answer. Um, well, yeah, well, I'll see you in school. But um, once again, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And um, I think it's gonna be really valuable for our listeners. Thanks. Thank you. Once more, I want to say a huge thank you to Riley and Aaron for joining me on the podcast today. I know it takes a ton of guts to open up and talk about what we did. And I really hope it's going to encourage others out there to reach out in times of struggle and to reach out to your fellow classmates, colleagues, and friends if you think that they're in need of support. And remember that if you're ever feeling down or if you're hit hard with imposter syndrome or you just need a pick-me-up, remember that what you're going through is 100% normal and natural. And most of all, you're never alone. So please reach out to somebody. Reach out to me. We're all in this together. And lastly, thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For more resources and more information about the podcast, please check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook. You can also connect with me via email at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com. I'd love to hear any topics or suggestions that you'd like to hear us talk about and even reach out to me if you'd want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. And of course, if you feel so inclined, please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM. Mm-hmm.